Hello there again, it's Bruce Taisley, it's Eat Sleep Work Repeat, hope you're well. All of the previous episodes are available at the website, which is eatsleepworkrepeat.fm, and you can subscribe on all the places you get your podcast. you know that already. Now, one of the things I've been asked most regularly over the course of the last year and a half is, these episodes are interesting for people who've got full-time jobs, but what about people who do freelance work or people who maybe don't have something that's as dependable. Today's episode is about that. Today's guest has understood that and probably reached as many people as anyone talking about that. Today's guest is Emma Gannon. I've known Emma for three or four years, in fact, and she's got a brand new book out called The Multi-Hyphen Method, which is out now. And it's an exploration. She doesn't really want to call it a side hustle Bible, and I completely understand that. But it's an inspiration for anyone who's interested in the way to maybe develop something that gives them some passion and interest alongside their current job, and then gives them the inspiration to turn that into something that's, that's making them money. So like I say, it's not a side hustle Bible, but it certainly gives lots of practical advice of how to do that. And I I guess the the best exemplar of that is the fact that she's done it herself. So myself and Emma talk through what she's worked on, who Emma thinks could benefit from living a multi-hyphen method of life. And we just have a, a fascinating discussion on those things. I should introduce Emma properly. Emma is a best-selling author, but she also, I think, unexpectedly has found herself as one of the most successful podcasters in the UK. She launched a podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, to support the, the launch of her, her first book, which was a, a memoir about growing up online. And unexpectedly, it's become an, an absolutely massive hit. So you'll often find it battling out with Tim Ferriss at the top of the, uh, the best business podcasts. And uh, you'll find me a little bit further down the list if you're really keen to look. Emma previously has been social media manager for magazines and publications like Glamour, uh, The Debrief, she used to write for and help social media manage there. And she's written long term for publications like The Debrief, The Telegraph and, and various other places online. Increasingly, you'll find her pretty much everywhere from Radio 4 to she was in the Sunday Times this weekend. Alongside the first book, Control-Alt-Delete, that she wrote, she's also got this new book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, that's out now. Before my voice goes, let's get to it. Here's Emma. Right, okay, here we go. So a lot of people have sort of said to me, oh, it's all very well you're sort of looking at work, but what about people who don't do linear work? Hello, Emma, by the way. Hi, hello. Hi, Thanks for having me on your amazing award-winning po- podcast. A lot of people have said to me, uh, yeah, you've looked at work, and but what about people who haven't got linear work? Right, well, what we've got, what I think is captivating about the book that you've put together here is that it works for me on several levels. Firstly, it's like the most usable manual that anyone who's got like a nub of an idea can do. But secondly, it's a route to try and make people happier in their current jobs a bit. So let's start with your story, right? So your story, you sort of live the multi-hyphen life, right? You sort yeah. of, you do now. I do. And you describe in the book how for a long time you hated your job, but you were scared to do anything, which I guess is the situation that a lot of people are going to find themselves in. To talk us through your story first. 
So I've only been self-employed for two years or just under. That's not a long time, especially to write a self-employment book. I mean, who do I think I am? But no, I've learned a lot in two years. And I guess the reason why I wanted to say, you know, I had a full-time job for six years. I remember meeting up with you years ago and you were like, why don't you leave? I was so scared because, you know, at that time I was making like a hundred quid here and there. Like I knew that I was consulting on things. I knew that I had a niche. I knew that I was good at something, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I just, I live in London. I live, you know, I, I don't have loads of money in the bank. And I just, I was so scared to make the jump. And there's so many books about the jump, isn't there? I think there's a book called When to Jump okay, by okay. Mike, someone out at the moment. And it's all very much about quit your job, do what you love. And I actually don't subscribe to that at all. And there's a lot in the book that says, don't quit your job yet. So, so would you be, I think you even addressed this, so I can't remember, but you, would you be offended if people saw it as a, a side hustle manual, a side hustle Bible? The reason, you know what, the re I, I do use the word side hustle a lot in the book, but I'm worried about the lingo. Right. You know, we see things become so trendy and we think, and then we see things become so untrendy. Girl boss is, you know, not cool now to say that word. And you must see this on Twitter all the time, hashtags take off and then hashtags fail. And I think I didn't want to be like the side hustle girl because I think genuinely in four years that won't be a thing. And even with Lean In and Sheryl Sandberg and all these books, I know I'm talking about books written by women, but all of the books that I loved, I don't think are very on the pulse anymore. And, it, and I realise how quickly things become cool and then don't become cool. But I genuinely believe that this book I will be happy that it exists in a few years' time because I think it's the nuts and bolts of it. The interesting thing for me is that, yes, you end up... There's a brilliant woman who you quote initially, and I scribbled it down, and then you actually put it in the manifesto at the end. But um, it's about finding your own brand of magic. The interesting thing for me is even if people read this book and end up just being clear of how they define themselves and they still keep doing their job, or whether they actually their brand of magic grows big enough that they can quit and do something else. You give real concrete pointers for how people can move in that direction. Do you want to talk through what some of those stages are? Yeah, so I guess, yeah, a lot of the book is about skilling up and learning new skills and not looking up in five years' time from your desk and going, oh my God, I've actually got nothing from my employer. They haven't taught me anything. All of the things I could learn are on YouTube or on Skillshare or on SlideShare or wherever, wherever you're going to learn things from, or podcasts, you know, there's so much that we're learning from. So a big part of it was don't quit your job overnight if you don't want to, but just experiment. That's the message of the book. The fact that, well, you know, you write a lot about this, the fact that we should have seen more change since the internet came along. It's changed so much about our lives, like dating and how we order our food and how we get how we travel, you know, all these massive things, but we work in the same way. And I just think it's more risky to not take risks now. And the whole ending is sort of saying that. If you think this is risky, will you wait until you'd sit there for five years not doing anything? That's ri risky. So um, practical things in the book, it was all about as well how to make money on the side. GoDaddy re released that research about the fact that... Um, People are earning 500 to 5,000 pounds a month from a side hustle. That's not saying quit your job and just do your side hustle. That's just saying, oh, okay, especially as millennials are branded as the ones that have no money and no housing and nothing, get some money coming in on the side and be really strategic with that. And then if you do want to quit your job, at least you've got a little bit of a, a pile of money there. 
Right, so you say that. So the interesting thing is, one of you, you, like you give these 10 brilliant rules. Exactly like you say there, you're inspiring people to find what they're good at, they're stepping into it. Like little ideas like, don't take your work, stress home. If you take your work home, don't take your work. Like trying to ensure that you've got space for your own ideas to fizz up. So you, like, you're gonna get some satisfaction from the things that you are determining yourself. Actions you're doing yourself are gonna make you happy. All really interesting. And the bit you've just hinted at there, you say don't do anything for free. I was really interested in, you've obviously gone on that journey of not doing things for free anymore, but there's so much constructed on getting people to do things for free. Talk me through the stages. If, if someone is there, right, they've found their own thing and they're doing it, they're getting it going, they're building momentum. And you say, actually, sometimes you might do it for zero money, but you are getting some clear benefit. But how do you do that? So if you've got someone specifically listening to this now and they've started doing something, how do they? Well, there's a disclaimer in that bit about not working for free because I did work for free, but that was when I was about 21 and I just moved to London. And I actually think that you should work for free at the very beginning for a bit on the side if you have a full-time job, which I did, because, I mean, what was I going to offer anyone at that point? It, it depends what you think free is, because I think there was a transaction there. I so got, you used to I, write for the Telegraph, I right? used to write for the Telegraph, and that was for free. Um, I used to write for the Huffington Post, that was for free. But I felt like there was a meaningful transaction because my, my work was on the homepage of the Huffington Post. I was no one. I had nothing going on. I was not a writer. Um, I'm dyslexic as well. So it was just like, I need to just get my work out there. I don't know anyone in London to give me an internship. You know, go, 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 use the internet. And so the only way I could do that is because I had a really boring marketing job that like, paid quite a good salary at the time. But I wanted to be a journalist, and I wanted to be really creative, and I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now. But I knew that the stepping stones were going to be there, and I knew that I couldn't say, hi, um, so my hourly rate is £200, and I'm going to write you an amazing essay uh, about this. You know, that doesn't work. And so I think having that Huffington Post logo and that Telegraph logo on my blog um, to say, oh, I write for these places, age 21, that was meaningful yeah. and, and valuable for me. Now I don't do anything for free unless, again, there's a meaningful exchange. So I think the reason why a side hustle works is because, A, it's in your own time and it's in, you're still treating it as something fun, but it means you can experiment because you don't need the money. This is the whole, the GoDaddy research that says an extra 500 pounds or an extra 5,000 pounds. You know what you can live on. And therefore, if someone's, you know, you can learn so much. It's almost like a boot camp, like a mini microcosm of learning. It's like, I would not need the money, but I would, you know, haggle and negotiate and learn how to send invoices and learn how to um, say no, because I didn't need the money. Because so I had a job. So take a step back. The Huffington Post, the Telegraph, you got that by what, just emailing them and asking them? Yeah, I mean, that was when Huffington Post had just launched their blogs right. network. Right. At the time, it was fairly new. Yeah. So it was just like the audacity to contact them. And so the transaction was, you were no one. They were turning you into even just the first step of being a recognisable name. But this is the thing, as I don't want people to read this book and be like, oh, you know, she just got to work for free. I really wanted to stress the point that by having a full-time job that you don't necessarily like and doesn't blow you away and doesn't make you into a creative person, it doesn't mean you can't experiment on the side. And it's kind of up to you to experiment on the internet and then, and then make this like phasing in or phasing out sort of path for yourself. 
there's various stages, right? The stages when you were just doing your marketing job, and then the stages when you were doing a bit of both, and then the stages now where you're like you're fully self-employed. Do you feel more fulfilled now, or is there more anxiety created by it? My work and life definitely blend now. I think I learned so much by having the full-time job, managing it with the side hustle stuff. I actually wrote a blog post like about seven years ago called How to Have a Blog and a Full-Time Job. It's one of my most successful blog posts because people want to know how do you do both and then how do you sort of you know, um, increase one and decrease the other. And I did four days at Glamour and then I wrote my book on my day off. People just can't understand how I managed to get four days a week because I don't have kids, I don't have things going on that entitles me to that day off, but I just asked. You can make slight tiny bits of room for your side hustles that have legs to grow. I really struggled with having a salary. I felt it limited me. I felt like having a salary was also a way to keep people small, to keep people competitive, to keep people feeling really unhappy and compare themselves. It was shrouded in so much mystery and secrecy. Can't tell anyone your salary. I mean, I remember one night we were all out for drinks and someone said their salary, other people went home crying, someone was in the toilet crying. There was this such a horrible, intense pressure around what is your salary and what is your worth. And I can't tell you how much happier I am now that I don't necessarily have this salary to base my worth on. I'm not gonna lie and say that I don't like making money. There's an interesting thing you cover, which is how you describe yourself in that situation. And you give, like you, you first mentioned, a quote by Mia Tokumitsu. I think she's a writer for The Atlantic yeah, and an she author. Is. She yeah. is, and she's like, I think she's an academic. But a, a quote by her, where she, she actually gives you a challenge of seeing how long you can go talking to someone before you ask what they do. Did she say it's three minutes or yeah. something? Yeah, and it's an interesting thing. My sister used to live in London, and she said the difference between London and Birmingham, where we're from, is that in Birmingham, people ask where you live, and in London, people ask what you do. <gasps> and we're so, it is, isn't it? And it was so defined by sort of how we project what we do and sort of how we judge other people for what they do. And so it was interesting. And you even go to the end, you give like alternatives to ask and the way to describe those situations. But our jobs are so important to certainly the images we make up about ourselves, aren't they? That Have you found that better or worse? I The thing with the multi-hyphen method as a whole is that it forces me to see people as people. I feel like I've already, I, I have always done that to a certain extent. I've always sat next to someone at a wedding and they've told me what they do and I've been like, that's not everything you do. I know that you're a lawyer, but I also know that you must have something else that's more interesting right. about you. And I've always dug that out of people. And even when someone said... Oh, we, uh, when I said I was coming onto your podcast and I was trying to sum up what you do and I actually said that you were the MD of Twitter last. Right. I said all this stuff before and, and I find that interesting, the fact that it's really lazy of us to give people just one job title because it's not the norm, I don't think, anymore. But also the fact that... Um, Job titles are going to be irrelevant, I think, in the next five to ten years. I don't think that's how we're going to work in the future. And I do think, like, the interesting thing I get from your book is probably from recent experience, I've found both through myself and through uh, someone close to me, that when people have got, like, this energy that's been created by this thing adjacent to their job, they actually, that energy emanates and comes into their job as well. And so if we are just like the guy next to you at the wedding, who's just like this job title, people are less complete anyway than when they're doing far more. Tell me, like, was it a hard thing to get down to four days a week at Glamour? Well, that came about because I was 
poached, I guess. So okay. they, they asked me so to come in. So I was in a position. Yeah. So I think that's important to disclaim as well that I was on the front foot, which I think came from having quite a niche job title yeah. already. Because I think being a social media editor at the time wasn't as common as it is now. You know, people would recommend me for things. That was really great. So I think actually that was um, part of it that I could ask. But I still think that flexible working is, I think it's going to be the new norm. I think a lot of people are tirelessly campaigning for it. I think we're entitled to it. And especially because you talk a lot about people feeling burnt out and so consequently avoiding that sense of being burnt out. And I suspect in the world that we're going to move towards where we all need to be a bit more creative and a bit more fleet of foot thinking of new ideas, then having space where we're, we're trying to be creative is going to cross-pollinate into our jobs and, and make us better at our jobs. I do, and, but I also think that we're in a really tricky time at the moment where this is reinventing something that's always been around. I haven't proposed something totally crazily new, but a lot of employers might find this a bit scary. How scary to say, oh, I've got to let my employees roam around a bit and be freer mm. and go and work on their side project. If I was an employer, I would find that quite scary, but I also think that if you don't do that, you aren't going to retain any of your best talent yeah. because I had a lot of times where I was learning so much from my blog, um, from all my other different projects, you know, learning more about how to code and learning more about, I don't know, just digital tools in general. And I knew that I could bring them to my job, but my employer didn't really want to know. What made you choose to do this? Because you like you wrote this brilliant memoir of sort of growing up online. I mean, look, your podcast is a phenomenon, right? In fact, quite often the tweets are people saying to you, I've just listened to 10 back to back, right? Because they're just such inspiring stories. So what made you think, I want to try and inspire people with this book here? I think part of it was undoing my own ideas of the stigma of it. I actually, I mean, in the book, I write a bit about how I would be embarrassed by it and how I wasn't owning it. And I would, someone would ask me what I do and I'd just clam up and get really embarrassed. Yeah. I wouldn't list all the things I was yeah. doing. I would, instead, I would go really small and think, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know. I would really play myself down and other people, my friends would notice and they say, you really put yourself down in social situations. When people ask you what you do, you literally say, I don't know. And it's really bizarre. And they sort of told me off and they were like, you are doing all this stuff about empowering yourself and empowering other people and being the best version of yourself. And yet you can't even describe what you do. So that okay. was a bit of a moment. And then exactly a year ago today, I was in that Microsoft advert, yeah. which was the rise of the multi-hyphenate and look at Emma using this product that allows her to do all these different things and live her best life. What impact did that ad have on you? Well, actually it gave me the confidence to write this book because yeah, it was... A, that. And, and that is kind of annoying, isn't it, that you need validation to yeah. do things. But it was almost like, oh, this big brand has said, cool, you're doing multiple things and that's okay. You don't need to define yourself and put yourself into a box. And I think this is just adding to, I hope, the culture that we're moving towards where we don't have to put ourselves in boxes when it comes to our gender. We don't have to put ourselves in boxes to do with our sexuality. You know, do what you want. And yet, in our jobs, we're still boxed in. So this book is just saying, do whatever you want. And if you're earning money and you're happy, then isn't that okay? Well, all of it for me feels like if we could just remove the imperative that the world is just so much more expensive and people aren't going to, you know, I scribbled down when I was going through, like everyone's anxiety now that they're never going to be able to afford a mortgage. It makes some of this creative expression 
feel if fear is permeating so many parts of this discussion whether it's employers or people themselves the money part just makes it far worse doesn't it Mm -hmm. it probably adds an additional layer of people being anxious they can't do these things I mean I wonder if a lot of my generation and at the and the moment that I graduated university which was 2010 I was just told about the the recession constantly at university constantly I remember someone coming in and going 20% of this lecture hall will get jobs the rest of you will really struggle and it was like oh thanks so I don't know whether a lot of this book is to do with that circumstance and the fact that I just wanted to make sure that I was employable and I just wanted to make sure that I was future-proofing myself and I was just so scared that um, I would sit and not learn new things and I would be irrelevant. It's sort of like the empowerment that you had to bring to yourself. But it's interesting because people say, don't you feel unstable? Don't you feel scared? You know, I just read something this morning about how self-employed women really struggle if they want to have children because you don't have anyone protecting you and all the rest of it. But, you know, this is a book about empowering yourself you are at the center of your career you are protecting yourself against being made redundant you can't be redundant from yourself it's about creating multiple streams of income so that you are more secure this is what people can't really get their head around yet and this is what people don't believe when i say it is that i've never felt more secure Uh, if one stream of income goes tomorrow i've got some more i've got savings for the first time in my life and that has not come from a full-time job at a company. I don't want to say my story is the only story and you must do what I've done. Not at all. I want it to be a sliding scale for anyone, whether you want four days a week, whether you want to be totally self-employed, whether you have a full-time job and want to do something on a Sunday night. It's the ratio you want to make. I think probably the critical thing is, there's a bit where you describe, and if we don't want to go too much into your story, but I'll briefly mention it. But you mentioned that you had this sort of dream job. I don't know which two or three of the last one of your last jobs but you said you were going to the toilet to cry and people were sort of being catty and I suspect a lot of people in that situation feel a bit helpless in the sense that well I've got this job and I've got Mm. these these responsibilities and I've got my rent to pay and I can't just quit even if I got the sense that even if all people do is they start thinking about their own creative passion and start doing that as a bit of a way to dissipate some of their good energy mm-hmm. and feel like at least that's their happy place. And if something comes from that, amazing. And if nothing comes from that, then it was quite good fun doing yes. it. Yes. And it's just to try and, when you're in that helpless situation that you're crying in the bathroom, it's just to try and give yourself something to say you're doing something that's what I took from it totally it's a confidence thing it's an identity thing it's a hundred percent the happy place thing that's what my blog was for Mm. eight years and when people say oh but what if nothing comes of it what if nothing comes of it well that's that doesn't make sense something's already come of it Mm. because I'm less miserable so it didn't need to be anything other than what it was at the time and yeah that's exactly it tell me talk me through how building momentum because i bet you a lot of people either create a separate instagram account and they're going to be a photographer or they start doing a medium post and they do two of them 
and then they run out of energy. I bet when you started your podcast, you didn't know you were going to do two million listeners, and you did mm. how many episodes you did? You must have done well over 100, 120 episodes. Something. I bet you never thought you would do that. So, what gave you the sense that keep going, keep going? You do one a week, every week, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do, do you agree though that it's easy? It's an easy form of me- media. You know what? Like I've found about doing podcasts is that. It's made me read more. I read five times more than I did before. It's made me structure my thinking. It's made me try and retain some of the things I've read. Yeah. You know that thing where people used to come into your flat and they look at your books and you go, don't look at those books, mate. I don't remember any <laughs> of those yeah, books. Yeah. Whereas now I remember a lot of things in books. So it's, it's changed the way my brain works. That's interesting because it must be because you're saying the quotes out loud or yeah. you remember because they're in a context of a conversation. Or, or like your book here, I've got things underlined and scribbled and then I transfer them my scribble to the front and so quite often I've got like this sort of my own little crib notes of what a book is yeah but um yeah podcasts are easy but what you've accomplished is remarkable right was it about building momentum or I think as well we live in this culture of busy 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 must be scrolling must be doing must not waste a second of the day and I think as well this sort of opening up my time a bit more and treating my time like a luxury item of um, wanting to do m- wanting to do my work in the least amount of time, having a day off to think, having a day off to write. That sounds so entitled and so millennial of me to say I want a day off to do whatever I want. But the reason that worked for me is that it was a day off where I could actually look at the landscape of what the hell is going on, zoom out of my life and my Twitter feed and my everything, and actually just think, right, what do you think genuinely is going to take off in the next year? What do I want to do with my life? Because I really believe in longevity as a goal. I think we're going to be working for a very, very long time. The BBC said recently that 65% of future jobs haven't been invented yet. I mean, I'm in my 20s. I really, really hope I'm doing something interesting in the next 50 years. And I just thought, if I'm just looking at my tiny little screen and constantly wanting to get likes and be relevant in the next five minutes then I'm going to burn out and I'm just I don't know what I'm going to do so I think the flexibility argument as well is saying we need to give ourselves a little bit of room to have a little bit of trend forecasting going on in our brains so what would you on that day did you always say I am going to accomplish something at the end of this day. I'm going to have done something. I just knew, and there's a lot in the book about investing in yourself. So what you put in, you will always get out. You will always gain something because you are at the centre of what you're investing in. And I just wanted to invest a day of free time to work on projects that I just knew something would come of them. I just knew that if I just exited the rat race for just give myself 12 hours to work on some other stuff, I just knew it would be beneficial. And again, it's this transaction thing. I had less of a salary because I had a day off, so my salary went down a little bit, but I gained so much more. You just have to take little bits away in order to gain more in the long run, I think. Do you have heroes? Do you watch Atlanta? Do you watch Donald Glover? I don't. Man, it starts BBC Two coming up. Is that Donald Glover is in? Childish Gambino. Oh my God, he's just... Released yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is America. He does, and it starts. I need to watch that. I love him. It's that show is extraordinary. But as soon as you see that he's like an accomplished musician, he does this show. He does like an acting, directing. He writes it. He's just like, okay, I need to get stuff done. Do you know and what I was thinking about him this morning, brushing my teeth, and I went, oh my god, he is 
such a multi-hyphenate. Mm. And, and he's someone who, you say Donald Glover, but what do you say first? Yeah. What do you lead with? Because it's all pretty much all amazing. Yeah. I was like, oh, the guy that's in Magic Mike. Yeah. Like, that's random as well, but he does all sorts, sorts of things. And, and actually, when, I, when it comes to role models, um, actually the debrief wrote, uh, asked me to write something, but it's not around anymore, so I don't know where I'm going to write this piece, but about multi-hyphenates that have inspired me. And I was thinking of people like Nora Ephron right. and um, Ricky Gervais. I know that's a bit of a rogue one, but he's someone who I look up to in terms of, I don't necessarily like everything he says, but just the fact that he's just not afraid to do anything. It's interesting, isn't it? My friend became an actor, and, uh, and right from the off, when they did her photo shoot, they said, okay, this is the part you're gonna play. And it was like, it was basically what she looked like. Everyone in the room had to say, you look like single mum from a state. That's literally was her type. And so her photo that she had done was single mum from a state. So she had scraped hair and she, she sort of wore sports casual. And acting, we understand that, you know, the person who plays this part will always play these mm. sort of parts. But we actually do that in the rest of our lives, don't we? If someone is this, yeah. then we pigeonhole them. And you're, the challenge you're addressing here is exactly like the original inception of this. When someone comes up to you, how do you define yourself without appearing cocky, but to capture exactly what you do? Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very true. And actually, there's three steps in the book about how to do it, how to lead with your intention. So like I do, I do this and these are the different jobs I have that encompasses that goal. Ways of summing it up so that it sits under an umbrella of who you are, because actually, you know, a lot of writers will say, oh, I'm a storyteller because they make films or they are an actor or they write poetry or whatever. And at the moment, I'm saying I'm an author and broadcaster but I don't even think broadcaster is relevant anymore to what mm. I do but what I'm saying is I write and I make content I mean I don't know how to describe it still but I can go with those two and then underneath if people want to really ask what I do then I can go and say like these eight different things that I do but um I I love it and also I love the fact that you know the whole what's next thing so oh well done Emma you've written a book what are you going to do next yeah. That, I mean, that is annoying, especially for musicians, I bet. Well done your album, Adele. When's your next one? You know, I'm not comparing myself to Adele. I'm just saying even she gets this. Yeah. That being a multi-hyphenate takes away that stress as well because you think you're not pigeonholed. I mean, I'm going to probably do the rounds with this book, do all the festivals, do the book festivals, have a great year. And then next year, I'm going to go and do something completely different. And I'm allowed to because I've pigeonholed myself as someone who is not pigeonholed. I think it's maybe because, and I've got this obsession, and I'm going to blame the system for creating this obsession. I've got this obsession with career arcs. You know that? I think because I love pop music so much. Like the idea, where are we on Rihanna's career arc? Have we seen all of the bangers <laughs> that Rihanna is ever going to drop? She's got and more. It, and is she now just in a world of makeup and lingerie? And dressing as the Pope. But dressing as the Pope, right? Or actually, are we just we in the middle of Rihanna's career arc? And of course, you can only see these. Do you know that thing? If you ever watched, I was watching an episode of Louis Theroux's show, and there was a guy on there who was aspiring to be a star. But of course, because this show was ten years ago, I just IMDb'd the guy, and the guy had come to nothing. And it was like, wow, I've watched the whole guy's life, God. the the firework that there was the guy's life. I've watched yeah. it sort of 
get ready to be lit and then just fizzle out in, in a second. And so this sort of obsession with career art. I googled some of my old 90s TV shows, the characters in that, on Wikipedia. And one, sad, one of them is like a really failed estate agent now. Like, it's so sad. He was my favourite character in a cheesy American sitcom. And so as a result of that, we are all obsessed with what next? Where are you on the arc? Where are you on the arc? It creates this, uh, this unreasonable pressure, doesn't it? Yeah, and also, who wants to peak too early? I mean, it's the whole X Factor thing, isn't it? And I open the book with this thing of this, this weird thing that we learn as humans that there is an end goal where we retire and we are so happy now that we've retired and then we get to do our hobby. Well, I don't want to wait until I'm 80 to do my hobby. I want to do my hobby now. And I think that, you know, it sounds cliche, but the journey is the thing. That is the thing. That's the only thing, what we're just doing now. It, there's no there's no best-selling author trophy that can make you happy. It's just not possible. If you do the work and you enjoy it, that's the trophy. So if someone's sitting at work today and they're unhappy, not that you're the side hustle woman, to make it clear, <laughs> but trying to be the owner of your destiny and thinking about what you can do in the context of your current job is a good first step, right? And, and yeah. these things can lead like in your example, can lead to magical things or they can just lead to a slightly more fulfilled work existence. Definitely. And the, the barrier to entry is, is low now. You know, we don't have to. There's no gatekeepers anymore. If you want to work for a radio station, you don't need to go and intern and make someone's tea. You, you make your own podcast or you put something out there or you have a full-time job, you squirrel away even the tiniest bit of money and I know that I, I don't want to sit here going oh save up your money but if it means not getting like I don't know your coffee for the day and for the, for the month and you can then maybe buy a piece of equipment that will then set you up to invest in some sort of side hustle I genuinely think that you won't regret it um, and the time is now I think now 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 start somewhere start small start literally the tiniest little seed because my podcast, I know, you know, I'm sat here with two million downloads or whatever, which I did not expect, but that first episode is on Skype and it is rubbish and I edited it badly and the sound is awful and there are peaks that hurt your ears because we're laughing and I didn't learn how to, you know, get the uh, equal sound thing going on. And uh, yeah, it's really bad, but it's grown into something amazing now. This is a message to all the accountants out there. If you are worried that a robot is going to take your job, become a certified management accountant. You see, we are only programmed to mine data and crunch numbers. You'll have control over the strategy and the decision making. So become a CMA and robots like me will help you, not hurt you, unless we short circuit. Then all bets are off. The CMA certification. You've got to earn it. Visit cmacertification.org for details. I just think you need to start really, really small. And if that's 20 minutes on a Wednesday night, do it. And, and the thing you say, I scribbled down my big note there, was save your energy for your best things, right? Like you sort of don't think that you're going to make your magic by this is the thing that you get to when you're exhausted on a mm -hmm. Friday. Try and bring some of your best energy to your best things, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, there's this really annoying quote that it does annoy me, but I really believe it, which is by Tim Ferriss. 
who's my nemesis on iTunes business chart. Um, but he says what he says to ask yourself, what if it was easy? Just what, what if it was easy? And what you, does that mean? So it means, so imagine you have this side hustle you want to start and it could be a podcast, it could be writing a short story, it could be whatever, whatever it is, building a chest of drawers, whatever it is. What if it, you, you have to train your brain to not treat it as a job? It's the opposite of a job. And you have to think, what if it was easy? What if it was easy? And I just went and started it. Okay. It takes the pressure off. Because okay. we, we treat our side hustles like they're jobs, but don't treat them like a job. Treat them as something so sacred and fun. And just doing it is better than talking about it, right? But you must have had this because you started your podcast how long ago? About a year and a quarter. So you start the podcast... You get really good guests. It then starts getting traction. You're on the back of books being quoted now for business books. Bruce Daisley, eat, work, sleep. Eat, eat sleep, work, work. Eat, sleep, work, repeat. Eat, yeah. sleep, work, repeat on the back of business books. And now you've got your own book coming out. But that isn't that, it doesn't that show the seed? Like tiny, yeah, weeny and, little thing. the interesting thing, thing is, like, I've got no objective with it. Like, exactly. I, was, I know I you just, don't. I'm, I was and, just yeah. doing it because, like, I was fascinated that these professors would talk to me. And so I thought, okay, well, I better read their book before I chat to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Doing is better than talking about it, though, right? Mm -hmm. I always think about that. Like, I remember when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to do some writing. I'm going to buy a typewriter and do some writing. And then I thought, if you're going to do writing, you're writing every day in pencil. Then you buy a typewriter to type it up, you know, like, or, you know, a word processor or whatever it was. You know, the idea that you need this to happen, I'm going to quit my job and start writing. No, no, no. You need to be writing before you quit your job. And also, I swear that working at the debrief was the reason I wrote my book, because I was surrounded by these intelligent, crazy, okay. funny, amazing women all day talking at me. I was writing down things the whole time. There's also uh, someone who used an example a while ago on a panel, and I can't remember the name of it, of the person, but he was saying about how he used to work as a waiter and then wanted to be an actor, and he realised that actually when he was working as a waiter, he was learning lines, and he was using that time in a way that wasn't dead time. So okay. if you can treat your job as in some way sort of a space away from your side hustle, but you can still think about it, you can still feel like excited to get to it. I remember coming back from my job and just being like, oh, I can't wait to just do a little bit of writing. I almost needed to be bored for yeah. six hours <laughs> to then have the energy to do it because you know, it's not about sitting at your laptop and having the whole day free. That will not write a book or that will not make anything happen. And I guess, you know, the, the interesting thing is, especially as you said the time is now, is because one of the limitations that might have existed previously is people are limited to the friends they've got or where they live in the country. Whereas now there's such a resource of things that you could podcast you can listen to or Global free websites you can read. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary the amount that people can actually seek inspiration now. Yeah, and I think we do need to teach ourselves now. If you're working for a company, there's nothing wrong with working for a company that's been around for 50 years, but... When I sat at a desk in those companies, I just felt like the people that I was learning from weren't actually teaching me mm. that much, which sounds really arrogant, but I just think we're so used to learning things very quickly now that um, we, can, we can do it. Are you the new Tim Ferriss then? No, oh my God, no. He's, a, he's number one like on the charts, business books and business podcasts. Sometimes I'm second. I just want to beat him. <laughs> 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 There's an interesting thing in what me, me 
in what Maya Tokumitsu says and that you quote because she says um, that there's a real danger of, of this love what you do movement that it firstly uses guilt to make you either do things for free or, or mm -hmm. makes you embarrassed that you don't love your job in her book she talks about that you know this idea that find what you do and then you'll never work a day in your life yeah. And what it does, actually, like the whole of modern existence, it cultivates this guilt about either we're inadequate or our jobs are inadequate or we should be loving what we're doing more. Mm -hmm. And um, and the whole sort of four-hour work week, Lean Startup, tries to make people embarrassed that they are, they're not working smart enough or somehow there's a hack that everyone else is doing that they're not doing. Whereas your book is just very practical, genuine things that you can do to try and find your own inspiration or to just get take more that out. Next yeah, step. yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. No, that's that's really nice of you to say. I guess yeah, I wanted to quote her because I didn't want anyone to look at the book and think, oh, Emma's just preaching that you should love what you do all the time because I don't love what I do all the time. And the whole point is that I need to reread bits of my book sometimes to inspire myself because I still have side hustles now. So I've turned my side hustles into my main hustle and I earn money from these things because they were gaps in the market or they've done well or I've kind of created some sort of personal brand. Great. But now that all takes over and there's always admin and there's always stuff you don't want to do and there's always the jobs you take for the money and there's always boring bits um so my job is still a job and i'm still up late at night sort of stressing out so now i need to find extra pockets of time for my side hustle. i've got new side hustles so i'm working on something at the moment that my agent's just like she doesn't really want to know about it because she know she probably knows it's not a money maker or it's not you know don't, please don't work on that weird novel idea for too long you've got this work to do so I've still got these side hustles. So I think that I, don't, I wouldn't want people to think that I'm just saying do what you love because then you won't, you won't love it if it's your job. Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert talks about this all the time. If my full-time job was doing what I love, I would hate it, mm. I think. Yeah. But it beats working where I used to work. Yeah. And, it, and someone the other day was saying, oh, you know, you, you, uh, there's a lot of um, things that self-employed people don't get a lot of perks you don't get but i get to go on holiday whenever i like yeah you know there's just the pros, good, there's pros and the cons yeah there's pros and cons and again this book i hope people buy it in the airport before they go, before they go on holiday and just read it and have a and ponder on it but i'm not on a campaign trail to make everyone a multi-hyphenate i just i just want to put it out there in the world i felt like there needed to be a book about it Thanks to Emma. And next week, I'm going to be talking mental health in the workplace with Emily Reynolds. And that's a, a fantastic episode, a really good discussion. My objective mainly, I, I won't lie to you, was not to appear desperately awkward. And I think I just about pulled that off. So next week, Emily Reynolds, you can contact me via linking into me. Uh, I'm Bruce Aisley. Or you can uh, follow our Twitter, which is you'll get by searching Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. See you next time.